What's up, everybody? Uh, this is Tom Santilli, and you are listening to the Film Survivor Podcast. Uh, lots to get to today. Uh, great episode of Survivor. I told everybody to hang in this season, and, and uh, you know things would get better. And uh, boy, these last two weeks have been awesome, honestly. Uh, we had the double episode last week, and then we had this week's episode, which is great. But we have a lot coming at you this week on the podcast. Uh, it's actually like a double episode. You're going to notice it's a lot longer than normal. The reason for that is I have two people on the podcast today. The first will be the uh, person that was voted off of uh, Survivor last night. Uh, and this is your last spoiler alert warning for that. If So if you have not already seen the episode or don't want to be spoiled, please give this podcast a pause or come back to it. Uh, at a later time once you've seen it and don't mind things getting spoiled. But my second guest, in addition to the exit interview for Survivor, my second guest is uh, Adam Graham of the Detroit News. He's the film critic for the Detroit News, and he's also the president of the Detroit Film Critics Society. And uh, he's on the podcast today because just today, uh, hot out of the oven, we uh, announced the, the group that I'm a part of, the DFCS, uh, we announced our winners uh, for this year's the two, 2017 uh, awards for our movie categories. So that's big news on the movie front. And so Adam's on, and we're going to talk all about the movies, and we're going to talk about our winners and our nominations, and uh, kind of you know what is uh, setting the stage for the award season for movies moving forward. So as always, this podcast is fantastic if you love Survivor. Uh, this podcast is fantastic if you love movies. But if you love both Survivor and movies, like me, this uh, should be your favorite podcast. Well, let's be honest. So, uh, a lot's coming at you. So, there you go. So, spoiler alert out of the way. Darn it. Lauren. <laughs> Lauren. Uh, we said goodbye to Lauren last night on Survivor. And uh, I'm going to be chatting with her coming up soon. But uh, I'm not going to spend too much time like I usually do on the recap. That's good news for some of you probably thinking, Awesome. Uh, but we're not going to spend too much time talking about the recap, even though it was an amazing episode. Uh, this was a third straight episode in a row I thought was really strong. Uh, we had a lot of drama. However, the challenges in this episode were probably the worst I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, pulling marbles out of a bag has got to be the lamest Survivor Challenge uh, that's ever been created. So I don't know who thought of that, but uh, yeah, fire that guy. Oh yeah, one more uh, housekeeping thing to interject from last week. Uh, you know, we were promised an interview. We had two interviews last week. One was with Joe Mena, who got voted out, but the other, the first person who got voted out of the double episode was JP, and uh, he did not give uh, audio press interviews that day. We were told to send him three uh, emailed questions uh, to have him respond to those, and that we would get to be uh, able to share them with you this week. Well, uh, I gave him three what I consider to be pretty good open-ended questions. Um, I asked him, you know, to describe his final tribal council. What did he think had happened? You know, his feelings going into it, etc. Uh, I had asked him, uh, you know, uh, basically to had he had discussed at all what his final plan was going to be. Had he reached final seven uh, with Chrissy and Ryan? Uh, who would have been his first target? And I also wanted to ask him about his airtime. Uh, you know, he's probably had the least amount of airtime of the returning players. And uh, is there anything more that we had uh, wished, anything more that he had wished that they had shown of him uh, or that he would like the audience to know about him? So I thought those were three pretty open questions. Uh, Mr. JP maybe had a ton of stuff to get to, but um, 
I'm not kidding you guys, but I probably got with his response to all three questions, I probably got about 10 words out of him uh, in, in a written response back. It was too little to even print, and it's really too little to even go over now. So I just wanted to point that out to you that uh, that interview kind of didn't go the right way just because we didn't get much of a response back from JP. So uh, for those of you who are looking for, forward to the JP interview, and I'm sure there's a few of you out there possibly related to him, uh, those uh, that's your interview right there. Is He just gave me kind of one-word canned answers, and it wasn't even worth printing, but I thought I'd mention it here just in case you were looking for it. So let's get back to this week. Uh, anyway, uh, the episode featured lots of drama. We had uh, the aftermath of everything that happened after Joe was voted out. Uh, we saw Lauren make what you know is going to go down as one of the biggest blunders in Survivor history with her uh, not only ripping up, apparently, her second vote uh, advantage, but also handing off one half of her immunity idol to Mike, who then threw it in the fire at Tribal. And I'm going to talk to her all about that during her interview. Uh, but just a crazy, chaotic, chaotic uh, Tribal Council. We had people getting up and going to talk to each other. Whenever Jeff Probe stops talking at Tribal, it's usually a good sign. <laughs> usually uh, when he's just kind of sitting back and letting things happen um, and saying wow under his breath, uh, that's usually a good sign that it's a good Tribal Council. And uh, to not, uh, you know, wasn't a disappointment at all. Ben, everybody uh, loved the guy, then hated the guy. I don't know where you stand with him right now, but Ben is definitely good for the show, I think. Uh, he played his idol last night. His single vote sent Lauren out of the game, and uh, even though every single other person left in the game, he now knows voted for him to get out. So that should be interesting back at camp. With Lauren out, though, with that half-idle destroyed, with Ben's idol gone, with Lauren's advantage now history, we are at six people left in the game uh, and no advantages. So this point in the game, too, I don't think that they're going to probably introduce any kind of uh, idol or anything. I wouldn't think with just six people left in the game. So I think it's mano a mano uh, here out. You got six people left. You got you got Ben, of course. You have, uh, let's see, you got Devin. You have Ashley. You have Chrissy and Ryan. And you have Dr. Mike in the middle of everything. Should be a good finish. We are just, uh, there's one episode next week on Wednesday. And then the following Wednesday, the December 20th, is the two-hour finale. So we're already through. Uh, we're getting through season 35. Hard to believe how fast things go by here. But, uh, yeah, lots to talk about. Lauren, though, was a fan favorite. Just, you know, I was really sad to see her go last night. It kind of sucked how it went down. She had she had opportunities to save herself, and she was in a good spot in the game. So it just kind of sucks that it seems like, you know, she played so good for so long. But, you know, in this game, one, one little misstep and, and everything can crumble. So it was sad to see her go, but, you know, the six that are left, I think, are, are a solid six, and uh, it'll be interesting for sure to see how this one shakes out. Not to overhype it, as Jeff Probst is used to doing, but uh, Probst also uh, on Dalton Ross's uh, EW.com, his weekly, uh, you know, questions with Jeff, uh, Jeff is promising that next week's episode is even better than this week. So strong, strong finish, guys, and... Uh, We'll be there all the way through. So with that being said, uh, yeah, let's get right into the interview. This is my interview with Lauren. Uh, you know, became the fifth member of the Survivor jury 
and then stick around after the Lauren interview because we're going to get into, we're going to switch gears and get into movies uh, when I speak with Adam Graham. So uh, do that, and here's my interview with Lauren. We'll get into it. It is so cool to talk to you. I was a big fan, and I was ticked off last night watching the TV. <laughs> um, one one yeah. vote. Um so I, I'm sure you're answering this a lot today, but I wanted to, you know, get it from you here. So first off, just give me, give me your, what was the decision? What was the thought process of, of uh, going into um, giving half of the idol to, uh, to Mike? Well, um, basically Mike was, you know, he kind of, he felt like he was on the outs all the time when it came to like certain votes and stuff like that. And I had somewhat of a, a good report kind of with him, but I wanted to make sure that what we had was really good. And, you know, I knew there was a few rumors going around that, you know, Ben was throwing my name out there. And so I wanted to try to like secure me and Mike in, because I knew Mike was kind of a, he swung back and forth and I wanted to try to keep him as close as I could. Knowing that, was there any thought though, to use the idol on your, you know, like you had the idol in your possession um, and knowing Ben was gunning for you, uh, that was a that was a pretty big gamble, right? To to try to put that trust into Mike. Well, I, nobody knew Ben had an idol. That's the thing. Um, nobody, I mean, not to my knowledge. I mean, I never had a clue that Ben had the idol. Mm. We knew that he had the fake idol, but he did that um, for Chrissy. Like the real idol was never mentioned. Okay. Um, as far as I know, he never said anything to Devin or anybody. So playing, giving that to Mike. You know, I was assuming that that was the only one that was in play. And, you know, but I was obviously wrong. You know, I want to ask you, too, just about your relationship with Ben. You know, you guys were both put on the same tribe at one point in the game, and it seemed like you had really bonded and created a good alliance. When did that alliance start to crumble? Uh, you know, what exactly made that alliance crumble, and, and why wasn't it able to work? Why weren't you guys able to kind of keep that tight? Um, well, when we first like got back to Yawa and it was just me and Ben, um, you know, we had like a kind of a falling out with Cole, Jessica and Mike and, you know, Ben and I both knew that we were on the bottom and we really did have a good trust between us. But at the whole time in the back of my mind, I knew that he's someone that I can't sit in the final three with. And I'm assuming, you know, I know that he was thinking the same thing. Okay. And I, I mean, I love Ben to death. Um, so I don't know if maybe I, I went too soon on trying to target Ben or too late. Mm. So it was kind of like an alliance out of convenience at the time. Like you, you thought it was mutually beneficial, but you kind of knew in the back of your head that at some point it was like a matter of who was going to get to who first. Well, I mean, it's every man for yourself when you get to down to a certain amount of people. And, you know, if I, Ben's, you know, he was very trustworthy and I was, I, you know, both of us, we had a, a really good thing going. Um, but it's kind of obvious. I mean, neither one of us are going to be able to sit side by side. Mm -hmm. Tell me about, uh, I, I want to know a little bit more about that too, about Ben's character. Is, is Ben a good guy? And on the show, it's interesting because, you know, he's a former Marine. Um, people uh, really liked him in the beginning and now people, the audience is kind of starting to turn on him as like a villain. Um, he's the kind of guy that makes a fake idol so that he could try to embarrass somebody out there. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, he seems like a trustworthy, good guy at his core. What do you think of Ben? Uh, like, can you give us any insight as to the kind of person that you think that he is? 
Um, I actually enjoyed, I mean, being around Ben. Um, he had a, I heard, you know, he told me a bunch of stories about being in the military and, you know, obviously it's something I couldn't do. I wouldn't make it three days in the Marine Corps. <laughs> um, but as him as a person, I think he's, I think he's a great guy. You can tell he's a family person and, but he's had a hard life. And I think we connected, um, in that aspect because, you know, both of us, I don't think grew up easy. And, you know, he's accomplished something, and he's proud of that. And, um, you know, being on the show, you know, being in the military, I think that brought him back to, you know, his main objective is to get to that final three. And, you know, Ben, he had a goal, and he's working, you know, he's trying really hard to get to that goal. And, you know, granted, he kicked me out. I got out with one vote, but I can't <laughs> hold it against him. Sure. Um, you know, I can't take any of this to heart. So I think he's. I think he's a great person. He's just playing a really hard game. Your second vote advantage, you, you mentioned at Tribal last night that you had ripped up that extra sheet and everything. Explain, explain why you did that and, and why that uh, advantage really never came into play. Um, well, the advantage was actually in my pocket. And, you know, once I said something about the advantage not being there, I kind of had to go on with that. Uh, especially, you know, Chrissy was kind of giving me a hard time. And I knew then that between her and Ryan, I didn't have them 100%. So I kind of needed to go on with what I had said because um, I didn't want her to give her any more reason to keep going. Mm. Um, at the same time, I still didn't know Ben had a, an idol. And so that's pretty much the reason why it didn't get played because I never, I was clueless about the idol. Um, you know, if I had played the secret advantage, I could have sent Chrissy home. It had been one vote Lauren and two votes Chrissy. Um, but, you know, that's just one of my mistakes. <laughs> it, it's easy for us to sit at home. Yeah, it's easy for us to sit at home and make decisions. But, you know, one one common thing I saw last night on, like, Twitter was, like, you know, why didn't Lauren dive into the fire and grab that uh, <laughs> the, the half idol? So, w- w- Lauren, w- was it worth well, risking the, the idol for your, your uh, you know, lighting yourself on fire? Well, I mean, if I'd have thought about it, damn right I'd have done it. It does, it wouldn't have. I mean, it's a few seconds. You're just going to reach in there and grab it. I mean, I play with fire every day in, in my own little world. and But I really was dumbfounded. Uh, I mean, you don't know a person's thought process until you're sitting there. Mm-hmm. And there was so much in my head, I was almost just blank. I was in shock. And then, you know, I look at it and I'm like, damn, why didn't I get that? I mean, it would have been nothing, but then, you know, who's the dress would have played it? So, but I, it would have been worth trying. The, but, um, yeah. in all honesty, I swear to God, I no more thought about it than a man in the moon. <laughs> the, the, the other thing I, I see people second-guessing is, you know, it was a shell. It, like, what, it didn't seem like it was something that was super unique or, or crazy-looking. Um, a lot of people were saying, why not, why didn't you just give um, Mike some random shell and tell him it was the other half of the idol? just to protect yourself in the case that Mike would have turned on you. Is it, did that ever come into mind? Well, he walked by in like within two seconds of us just having this discussion. And as soon as he walked by, I mean, he was standing right there and it's like, he looked and I looked at him and I'm like, here you go. And it was just a done deal. Okay. That would have been the best thing to do. Um, so once he does that at the, you said you were dumbfounded at the tribal it was it in that moment? Did you realize, or did you know, or think that anything would turn? I mean, you said you didn't know anything about Ben's idol, but was there any thought in your head until Ben played his idol that you were in any kind of danger? 
Uh, well, no, I mean, I knew I was at danger because I didn't know if possibly, with, especially with Chrissy and Ryan or Chrissy crawls and, you know, some chaos between her questions, you know, questioning me, you know, for all I know, Chrissy, Ryan, and Mike have turned against me, including Devin and Ashley. Um, I really felt confident with Devin and Ashley, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you never really feel confident with anyone. And after Devin came to me and said, hey, they're gunning for you, and, you know, I did mention to Ashley about Ben, you know, if the numbers are there, you know, to save herself, I mean, speaking of Ashley, you know, she could have gone with them. Mm -hmm. because it is every man for yourself. You know, no matter if we like each other or we're all friends, you know, you got to save yourself. So I wasn't confident at all going in, but I kept noticing, you know, Ben was mighty happy. I couldn't figure out why he was happy. Mm. And then about halfway after it's all done and said with, it just clicked, you know, like, okay, mm. I know why you're happy. You know, one thing people forget too is, you know, the, you're out there, this is your entire world, you know, for 30-some days, and then – these people that you're voting out that, you, that you're trying to play against have to then vote for the winner in the end. Um, Mike was criticized. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mike was criticized last night too for how he how he kind of used that half idol that you gave him. So like he didn't have to be dramatic and throw it into the fire and be all you know dramatic about it. He could have just not used it or not given it back to you, and it could have kind of saved the same thing. Had Mike, you know, if Mike goes to the end, oh, a no. lot of people were worried that he, he might have lost your vote. What's that? He could have just given it back to me. You know, like <laughs> right. if you don't want it, I mean, you really just just hand it back. <laughs> and if I'd known he was going to do that, I mean, I don't, I really just don't even have any words to explain what was going through my mind. <laughs> so, but yeah, I really wish he hadn't done that. And he didn't. I asked him like, why did you do that? He's like, I don't know. I've always wanted to do it. <laughs> okay, can't beat that. <laughs> um, yeah, I was like, okay. How do you? How do I respond to that? <laughs> So, you know, with, uh, I want to talk, sorry to have to keep talking about Ben, but the, the tribal earlier, you know, Ben is a secret agent and, uh, he's kind of getting, you know, Intel on the other side of the Alliance. You guys had an opportunity there where you could have decided to vote out Ben instead of Joe. Uh, w what did you think was the right call at the time? Um, were you on board with voting Joe or you wanting to get Ben out and, and why do you, Ultimately, why do you guys think you didn't get Ben? Because that would have been perfect, because he, even though he had the idol, he would have never played it at that tribal. Well, I was all on board in voting for Ben at that time. I actually wanted to keep Joe, and but between me and Joe, we needed more than that. And Ashley and Devin at the time really didn't want – everybody was annoyed by Joe. Mm -hmm. Nobody liked Joe, but I liked him. Um, I mean, he cracked me up. <laughs> but it takes more than just me and Joe. And if I didn't have anybody on board, I didn't want to press the issue because I didn't want them to think that I was turning my back on them, um, you know, because it's, you know, I just, it can't be just me and Joe again. So really Joe did, went home not on, not because I chose for him to go home by far. Okay. Um, I would have much rather, my plan was for it to be then, but nobody was really on board. Earlier in the season, you talked about, you know, kind of having, kind of struggling with like the social elements of the game. Um, but you became one of, you know, really like a fan favorite this season. And you really showed a lot of great, uh, you know, uh, social game work and gamesmanship and strategic gamesmanship. Um, talk about uh, what you kind of walked away from the game with. Did you, did the game of Survivor help you in any way with that social uh, struggle that you had early on? 
Um, really, you know, some stuff has always intimidated me, and I think that's just because I've never been really exposed to it. Um, but once I kind of got into the gist of things um, and realized, you know, okay, this is this is nothing but a game, then I kind of went right along with it. Um, but on a normal basis, I'm constantly laughing and, you know, I'm the little social butterfly. But when you're put in a different position and you're, you, you kind of got to figure out how to play everybody at the same time, be everybody's friend and all these other things, it kind of puts the seriousness in you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of people thought that I wasn't very social. And it, it wasn't that. It was just I'm constantly thinking. I'm constantly trying to protect myself and figure out who's going to be my friend. And at the when we first started, you know, I was pretty much on the bottom. I thought I was completely done if we had gone to try, you know, going to tribal council. And luckily, um, that wasn't the case. My last question for you is, uh, you know, people talk a lot about the, their legacy in the game of Survivor. Um, you know, your legacy might be, you know, always tied now, you know, to, to how it kind of went down with the chaotic tribal council and all that. But what would you what would you like your legacy to be? What, how would you like uh, Survivor uh, fan base to remember uh, Lauren? Um, basically a go-getter. I mean, I was put there to be a hustler. Um, I mean, that's my everyday life. And I think I left hustling and I enjoyed every second of it. Well, great. Hey, Lauren, it was awesome. Yeah. Chat- awesome chatting with you. Uh, you were one of my favorites and I was, uh, again, upset to see you go, but, uh, good luck to you moving forward and, uh, yeah, best of luck. Well, thank you so much. All right. Take care. And there you go. There's my interview with Lauren. Uh, again, sad to see her go. I was a big fan, as I as I mentioned. And uh, yeah, so as promised, uh, we're going to switch gears now. We're going to get into the movie side of things. Uh, the Detroit Film Critics Society announced their 2017 award nominations earlier in this week, and the winners were announced just this morning. And uh, here to speak with me is uh, Adam Graham, the film critic uh, for the Detroit News. So uh, here is my interview with Mr. Adam Graham. So, Adam Graham, what's going on, man? Hey, Tom. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> That's been your big thing lately, the, uh, the Wazo laugh, as, as it's called. Is yes, it... and, it, and it, it's, uh, there's a reason I'm doing it today. It's because we are uh, um, disaster artists will be talked about. Um, but, yes, I have, I have uh, like you recently, I have re um, – I'm – Tommy Wiseau is at the top of my is at the forefront of my thoughts. <laughs> I see you're growing your hair out long and uh, uh, stuff like that. Are you are you trying to just take on his entire look or just kind of the the, the voice of him? Uh, slowly, I'm I'm giving myself two months, and I think by the end of February I will have totally evolved into him. Uh, sunglasses, belts, etc. You are all over the place, different. though, dude. I mean, you're like Wiseau right now. You're you're at '90s on Maple. <laughs> You're the Detroit News film critic. You're the president of the Detroit Film Critics Society. How do you fit it all in, sir? Uh, heavy is the head that wears the crown. <laughs> well, cool, man. So, well, Many of course, crowns. yeah. The, all crowns. The reason I have you on the podcast, of course, today is uh, just today the uh, the award winners for the Detroit Film Critic uh, Society, the DFCS, were announced. Uh, you're the president, so I thought we would kind of go through uh, and, and kind of talk about these picks and uh, see what you think and see uh, what you think the group did. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. So first off, though, like just um, 
Tell people about our group, dude. Sell it. Uh, the Detroit Film Critics Society is a uh, is a group that is this year composed of 19 members of people who are uh, film critics in the area who live and work uh, within a 150-mile radius of the great city of Detroit. Uh, we've got represent- representatives from Toledo, Ohio, uh, Grand Rapids, and of course, uh, throughout the greater Detroit area. Um, and every year, this is, um, I believe this is our 11th year, we vote on year-end awards to celebrate what we feel is uh, the best in the year of film. Um, started in 2007. So that's not like it's our 12th year because the first year is the first year. Right. We're either 11 or 12 years into this. Um, and no, probably 10, maybe 11. I don't know. I think 11. Okay. Either we'll way. 11. Um, we, uh, we'll, let's go with 11. We, um, yeah. So, um, you know, in, in, in the major categories and this year we added a few new categories. Uh, we had been talking for several years about, Oh, you're trying to fit in something for music because um, we love music. Music's an important part of film, and mm-hmm. we figured Detroit was a was a very good, very important music town. So we wanted to um, honor the, the 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 best music in films, and, and we did that by calling the category "Best Use of Music." Um, that could mean you know appropriating uh, songs from the past or original score. Or uh, you know any other kind of ways that that music becomes a part of uh, a movie. Uh, so this year we have best mo- use of music as a category. We also have best animated film as a category for the first time. Um, yes, I believe that's that's how we, that's how we do it in the DFCF. Yeah, and then you know this year was cool too because I know that um, we moved up our announcement this year from normal. Usually it's announced a little bit later in December. So. This year we kind of uh, moved it up, and I, I kind of like the placement. We kind of, um, you know, our awards were announced. Our nominations came out this past Monday. Our, our winners were announced today, and it kind of fell right um, as kind of things were starting to pick up interest nationally. Right, we had the the National uh, Board of Review uh, came out like a week and a half ago, and then it was followed by like the LA and New York groups, and then I think we were among the the next group uh, now that we moved it up. Is that accurate? Yeah, we're we're in that wave. I, I think it's cool. I, I, the last couple of years, like you said, we we announced later in December, and December really starting with December first, or maybe even like November thirtieth. It's just it's a flood of these types of awards groups announcing their winners. Um, what I like is this year is we're out ahead of the Golden Globes even, mm-hmm. so people aren't saturated to the point, or kind of winners aren't. Uh, so much of a foregone conclusion that it's it's kind of more exciting to announce earlier. And um, this year was kind of an experiment to see if we could get out there earlier. Um, I think that it was a successful one. I think we could have even uh, gone a little sooner. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll visit that as we go forward. But I'm, I'm really excited to be uh, – you know, more on the cusp of things this year than, than in past years. And, and just so people know, too, I mean, we uh, just because we announced earlier, uh, we still have seen, you know, they screened a lot of the de- the big December releases. Uh, so films like, you know, The, the Post and The Shape of Water and uh, things like that were all included. The Disaster Artist, those were all things that were included in our votes. There were very few films that we didn't kind of get to see, and I don't think any of them really had to do with our, our release uh, of our awards. It was more kind of like the things with, like, uh, 
uh, the, the Christopher Plummer, Kevin Spacey movie thing that happened kind of bumped that off of everybody's radar. Uh, you know, Star Wars is not a movie that usually wins a lot of awards unless it's technical, but, you know, nobody's going to screen that early. Uh, so I don't really think we missed out on too much. Is there a big release that we didn't get to consider? Uh, I think the only one that stands out is uh, All the Money in the World. And like you yeah. said, they're still shooting it. So <laughs> um, they're still doing the reshoots with Christopher Plummer. I think as we speak right now, maybe maybe Ridley Scott uh, locked like an hour before we started talking. But yeah, that's the one movie that I think is outstanding that we didn't get to see. Um, everything else we are we're covered on. Well, with that, then let's get right into this uh, this year's awards. Um, I'm going to start kind of at not the bottom, but we'll start at kind of like the lesser awards and work our way up to best picture. So um, let's dive into it. The, the first one you you mentioned is a new category, the use of music, which is kind of cool. I think um, you know again it kind of considers all of these other factors. Uh, the nominees for this category were let's see, Baby Driver, Blade Runner, 2049, Good Time. Phantom Thread, and The Shape of Water. Uh, who won in that category? Uh, Baby Driver won the award for Best Use of Music in a Film from the Detroit Film Critics Society. <laughs> you have to take the high road, am I correct? And being the president, you, you full-heartedly support all of all of these uh, nominees and winners. Is this, is this correct? Um, absolutely. I back our group and our group's decisions. Um, and Baby Driver had... A pretty a baby driver's music was as much a part of its DNA as anything else in that film. Um, you came away with it thinking, "Wow, man, that movie had some you know some 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 sweet car chases set to some pretty rockin' songs." There's a John Spencer Blues Explosion song in there. There's a Barry White song in there when Jared, when John Hamm was at the diner at the end of the movie. Um, it was just, it, the, I think the movie, I think it was a double disc uh, soundtrack because mm-hmm. Edgar Wright used, I don't know, 36, 38 songs in there. Um, I would say special shout out to Sky Ferreira. I'm going to say that this is the Sky Ferreira Award because uh, <laughs> she was in the film. Uh, she played Baby Driver's mother. And there's a scene where she sings Easy by the Commodores to him. Mm-hmm. And there's a cover, her version of Easy uh, it's on the soundtrack, so I say um, this is the honorary Sky Ferreira Award. Now, I tried to nominate her in years past for her work in uh, The Green Inferno. Um, I tried to nominate her uh, for other other great iconic roles that Sky Ferreira has played, um, but finally we have the honorary Sky Ferreira Award in the Detroit Film Critics Society, and I myself couldn't be more proud I kind of like that it was Baby Driver. I mean, like you said, it was part of the film's DNA. If nothing else, it was um, an, it was an innovative way to use music in a film. You know, like it kind of was part of the, the whole film's storyline. But I like that it was like an, an obsessible film. Like people, you know, the, uh, the audience has seen Baby Driver. I was kind of uh, worried that this award, you know, could be awarded to some like, um, you know, stuffy kind of film critic-y thing, <laughs> you know, where people I haven't seen it or we're talking about uh, a composer or something like that. So I kind of like the accessibility of Baby Driver. Although all of these, ca- all of the nominees in this category, I think, are movies. You know, you, you rarely go into a movie and then come out like thinking about the soundtrack. Uh, and but I think all of these movies kind of did. Like the, the the music did play a really good part. So I was happy with this group of noms. Well, the the, the one thing that I wanted, um, my personal choice 
um, the, the one that I voted for uh, at the top of my ballot was Good Time. I thought that the uh, yes. the score by One O Tricks Point Never was just um, totally took the film up three notches, if not seven notches. Um, and so that, and, and as far as like you know exposure, I, I'm not sure that the DFCS is responsible for. Um, opening anyone's minds, but if we, if we could say to like one person out there, one kid with a dream who says, Oh my God, man, good time. D uh, one Oh tricks point. Never. Um, that, that would be enough for me. Uh, and I, I, I'm, I'm glad that it got a nomination and I would, uh, encourage anybody to go see good time and yeah, I agree. to just soak in that, soak in that score. Cause it's totally a part of like the insane neon late night vibe of that. Yes. Of that crazy, crazy film, it which I recently good. rewatched, and gosh darn, if Robert Pattinson's not a madman on that one. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about him a little bit later too. But yeah, I was really happy that it was very like Giorgio Moroder kind of like '80s like synthesizer kind of sound, uh, and it really, I, I mean, it, it really, like you said, was a part of the film. Let's move on though. So that's best use of yeah. music. The other new category this year was uh, best animated film, and ironically, uh, I didn't think this was the strongest year for animated films. Uh, what did you think? Uh, I guess, uh, do you have the noms in front of you, or do you do you want me to read them to you? I would love if you read them. <laughs> so this year we had Captain Underpants, Cars 3, Coco, The Lego Batman Movie, and Loving Vincent. So uh, I said it wasn't a very strong year of animated films. What do you think, and, and who won in this category? I don't think it was the strongest year for animated films. It's part of the gamble when when you include, uh, you know, something to be considered. You, you hope that you know this is our first year doing that, and you it, what it what it, it you know of course, Cars Three gets in there because it's like I guess there's two Pixar things in there. Was Cars Three really on anyone's list of anything of the best of anything? Eh, uh, it's debatable. Uh, the winner this year was the Lego Batman movie, which I was pretty happy with. I thought that Lego Batman was very funny. I thought it was the best Batman movie of the last couple of Batman movies, to be honest. Um, and that's including Ben Affleck and even maybe like the last Christian Bale one. If we can get into it, we can get into a Dark Knight discussion in our time. But I always think it's kind of like a super, super, super overrated movie. Um, I think that we really romanticize the Heath Ledger aspect and kind of overlook sure. some of the other ones in the film. Uh, but Lego Batman was hilarious. Um, I also really, really liked Captain Underpants. I thought that was a really, it was a surprising movie. Um, I saw that this year with no expectations and I found it to be a pretty imaginative story about friendship. And I thought it was just going to be, you know, a lot of potty jokes of which there's plenty of potty jokes. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but Captain Underpants is a solid movie as well. Um, big, uh, big congrats to Lego Batman. Although maybe, maybe seen as somewhat of a surprise. I think that Coco might have been the uh, uh, maybe the the people the, the choice yeah the front runner yeah and I also think that loving Vincent um, was also seen as perhaps a front runner I think the Lego Batman kind of came from behind and took it and uh, people who watch our the show that we appear on on Fox Two critically speaking know that you were a big uh, proponent of the My Little Pony movie which got snubbed in this category um, it was snubbed in this category. I could have also gone for the Sea of Ponies for best use of music. Um, unfortunately, uh, fellow DFCS members did not. See, I'm not sure that they saw My Little Pony. It did not arrive on screener in time. Um, but I will say that My Little Pony movie was uh, also 
uh, uh, surprisingly enjoyable. <laughs> okay, so let's move on from there. We'll leave it at that on that. Uh, so we got best documentary is a category that we added um, a couple years back. Uh, and this year we had a, a couple ties in the nomination process uh, because I don't think there was a serious front runner this year. But uh, there were a total of seven nominations. Uh, Human Flow, Keddy, Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, uh, Step, Strong Island, Whose Streets, and The Defiant Ones, which was an HBO miniseries, uh, technically. But the winner of this category was... The winner of this category was Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. Did you say Whose Streets in there? I did, Whose Streets, yep. Okay, good. Um, yes, the winner was Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond. It's a Netflix documentary about the making of the uh, Man on the Moon, the 1999 Milos Forman, uh, Andy Kaufman biopic. Uh, this movie is a lot more interesting than the movie on which it's based. Mm-hmm. And also, I think that it's kind of um, the the behind-the-scenes aspect from when Jim Carrey was in character on set uh, when he was filming Man on the Moon is less interesting than the kind of um, ideas of identity that Jim Carrey is exploring in the movie and that the movie is kind of like looking into. Um, but it's like, who are we? Like, mm-hmm. he became Andy Kaufman on the set. But who is Jim Carrey? Where does Jim Carrey end? And where does Andy Kaufman begin? And if you decide to become somebody, is that who you are? And when you go to work every day... You're that person at work, but is that really the real you? Who are we? Mm-hmm. What is this? Um, it, it's a little bit kind of like, you know, like, you know, oh, man, oh, you ever look at your hand, man, when you're <laughs> high? Like, whoa, whoa. It's a little bit of that, but I think that it kind of is successful in breaking down um, – you know, these kind of suits that we put on every day. And I thought it was a really, really interesting documentary. I thought Jim Carrey came off um, a little bit crazy and also a lot bit, um, like, woke, for the lack of a better word. Sure. Um, And it it went went to – the movie successfully went to places that I didn't think that it was going to go. So I think it's a – I think it's a great choice for Best Back Man of the Year. And it's on Netflix, so everyone can watch it. Today. Yeah, exactly. It's available yeah, on Netflix. Netflix. Um, the, the thing about Jim and Andy, too, is I'm not sure if it was, like, number one on everybody's list, but I think it was the kind of film that was on everybody's list. You know what I mean? Like, it might not have been – like, I know a lot of people were uh, 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 very passionate about, like, Who's Streets, which was my pick. I thought that was a, one of the greatest of, of the – of the ones that are up. The Defiant Ones was fantastic, too. If people have HBO now and all that, they should check out uh, The Defiant Ones, which was, uh, what's the dude's name? What's the record producer's name? It's Dr. Dre and... Jimmy Iovine. Jimmy Iovine uh, documentary. Iovine. It's it's made by... Uh, who's the guy who made it? Do we know? Uh, it's, it's either Alan or Albert Hughes. Yeah, okay. And then... Uh, Alan Hughes. Let's say it's Alan Hughes. Let's say it's Alan Hughes. And... Uh, it was just I, that was great for people who saw it. I don't know if a lot of people in our you know got it got a nomination, but I'm not sure enough people saw it. I think had they have seen it, it might have even done better. But that's documentary, guys. Let's move on. Yeah, it was a great. I I yeah. loved the Defiant ones. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. I'm a, I'm a sucker for um, I'm a sucker for like old rock tales, and Jimmy's got them all. Mm-hmm. And um, Dr. Dre has been uh, a constant in my life for a long time, and um hearing him talk and seeing the way that those two intersect in both their stories 
come together. I thought it was a made for a fascinating subject for a documentary. And it features some, uh, you know, great uh, interview little clips with uh, the late, great Tom Petty also. Uh, which is That's true. To Talked about when he cut Jimmy Eisen's phone cord. <laughs> Um, okay, so ne- let's go into best screenplay. So screenplay uh, nominees, our our group doesn't do what a lot of groups do, where they have an, an original screenplay category and an adapted screenplay category. So we just kind of mash those two together and give best screenplay uh, nominees this year: uh, The Shape of Water, Lady Bird, The Big Sick, The Post, Three Billboards Outside Emming, Missouri, uh, Get Out, and also Wind River. Uh, who was our winner in this category? Our winner was uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri by the great Martin McDonough, mm-hmm. who just turned in a, a, a firecracker of, of a screenplay with this one. Um, when, you, when you saw it, kind of the, the words dance off the screen, it's, it's, a, it's a real – I think it's, it's great because Martin McDonough um, was a previous winner in our group for uh, – Back when we had a Best Newcomer Award, mm-hmm. back before Breakthrough was Newcomer, uh, he won for In Bruges, which was his first movie, which he wrote and directed. Um, and he kind of stumbled a bit with his second movie, uh, Seven Psychopaths. And I remember being like, oh, man, did we blow it on this one? Mm. Um, but he comes back, House on Fire with Three Billboards, which I think is one of the year's best movies. And, um, uh, you know, he's, he's returned to DFCS glory. Uh, <laughs> so we congratulate Martin McDonough on just a... Uh, a whippersnapper of a screenplay. I loved that we uh, nominated uh, and recognized uh, Taylor Sheridan here for Wind River. Uh, well, that was one of hundred percent. Yeah. It, again, a, a knockout, a knockout movie, a knockout screenplay. I love that dude's work. Um, I, I can't believe how much, how much texture he's able to bring to. I don't the sort of different regions of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in Sicario, we got a real feeling for, like, the border in Arizona, um, rural Texas in uh, Hell or High Water. Yep. And this takes in, – in Wind River takes you to this kind of this desolate nowheresville mm-hmm. in Wyoming. It's Wyoming, right? Not Montana, it's yep. Wyoming? Yep. Yeah, and it's just um, – it, it's, it's real knockout stuff. I, I love what he's doing. And this was the first movie he's directed. This, it was one of my choices for, uh, for Best Picture. It didn't make our list. Um, but Wind River's incredible. So uh, next, we, you just mentioned it. The, category, the group used to do Best Newcomer. A few years back, we changed it to Breakthrough, which always uh, ends up being one of our most talked about uh, <laughs> categories each year because the, 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 the word is meant to kind of be uh, ambiguous. You know, we're, what is Breakthrough? Is it Best Newcomer? Is it Best First Performance? Is it a person that's been around for a while, but now now we know who this person is? Uh, I think everybody kind of factored all of those things in. It could even be like this year we had a couple uh, nominees uh, who uh, just did things in a different way. For example, Jordan Peele was one of the nominees. Uh, you know, everybody knows him as an actor and a comedian, but he wrote and directed Get Out. Uh, but anyway, the, the nominees for the break for this year, we had Timothy Chalamet. Is that, did I say that right? Chalamet? Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name. Uh, Gal Gadot, uh, Wonder Woman, of course. Uh, we had Tiffany Haddish, Girls Trip, uh, who I know you're you're big on, and then uh, Caleb Landry yep. Jones, who was basically in everything this year. He's the guy that you probably recognize and uh, didn't know who he, the guy was, but he was an American Made. He was in the Florida Project. He was in Get Out, and he was also in Three Billboards. Uh, just a great, 
I mean, that's the, the epitome of breakthrough is Caleb Landry Jones. And then, like I mentioned, we had Jordan Peele uh, who, for Get Out as a writer and a director. Uh, the winner was? The winner was Jordan Peele for writer and director. And I think it's, it's, it's tough to argue with the choice because mm-hmm. when you look at Get Out, and if you, it's, again, another kind of, um, another thing that you can look out for breakthrough is what did it really break through to? And um, as much as I thought Caleb Landry Jones just became a huge presence this year, uh, go talk to anybody on the street, man. I don't know who Caleb Landry Jones is. Right. Um, Get Out, on the other hand, made $176 million at the box office. Um, it was a huge hit. Uh, it would have been the biggest horror movie of the year had it not come along mm-hmm. and taken a little bit of its thunder. Um, but it's also, it's, 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 an, it's, a, it's a shockingly relevant film. Um, for the the times that we live in, it is a um, it is a candidate. It's a contender for for best picture at the Oscars this year. And in terms of Get Out, I mean that movie broke through, and it would be hard to argue against Jordan Peele, who came from uh, Key and Peele, who came from the sketch comedy background, to come out of nowhere really uh, with his writing and directing debut and make as big an impact as he did. So. Uh, he wins breakthrough performer. Tough to argue with. Uh, tough to argue with that one. Agreed. Uh, next category we have is uh, ensemble, best ensemble cast. Uh, this year's nominees were The Big Sick, Lady Bird, Mudbound, The Post, and Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And uh, who was our ensemble pick? The our ensemble pick was The Post. I think that. Um, it was our it was our lone award for the post this year. I think it kind of when you look at ensemble, it can be looked at as kind of like an overall award. It's like an overall achievement award mm-hmm. in a sense. Um, it's it not necessarily a, a best picture, and you, you're not really signaling out any any individual in the cast, but kind of the overall effort and you know the the way that the cast worked together um, under Spielberg's direction, blah blah blah. It was uh, strong work all around, and I think that, um, you know, journalists are always suckers for movies about journalists. <laughs> I, I don't know this to be true, but I think Mudbound could be the first, like, uh, Netflix streaming movie that uh, the group has nominated here in, in Ensemble. Uh you know the, the post also. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Because a lot of other groups, like the, the other groups that we mentioned that have already come out with their awards, have really put a lot of uh, you know momentum behind uh, uh, Tom Hanks, Meryl Streep. Uh, and even Steven Spielberg, the, the movie itself, uh, our group uh, didn't really recognize it in that upper echelon category. Although it did win ensemble, uh, didn't really recognize any of those singled out performances. Uh, do you do you see any reason for that, or why the post is getting national attention versus not so much in our group? Um, I think that the post, like you had mentioned, you had mentioned. Um... Oh, what did you mention it with? Uh, <laughs> everybody had it. Every, everybody had something a, a couple notches down, but nobody had it at the top. Yeah. What were you saying that with? Uh, the upper echelon of films? Yeah, no, just something earlier you mentioned, like, everybody had it on the list, but nobody had it at the top. I think that if everybody, if you look at it, in, in, in these categories, we all submitted oh, yeah. our top five. Like Jim and Andy. Yeah, um, so like Jim and Andy was on everybody's yeah, list, we, but didn't top anybody's list. Yeah. Yeah. I think that when, um, you know, if everybody turned in their top tens, uh, the post would be on it. Right. And um, 
I, I think it's just it's just a matter of that. Um, Lady Bird also didn't get a nomination for us for Best Picture, but it, it, it's just outside. Yes. And I think that the Post um, has has a good award season ahead of it. Um, it could sneak in, in a year where everything is kind of up in the air. It might win Best Picture. Um, it has a path to get there. Uh, I think that everybody respected it. I just don't think it was at the top of anyone's list. We all saw it in time. We all were all on board. It just didn't get all the way there. So I think that this was a way um, minus nominees, nominations for Hanks or Streep or Spielberg individually, uh, giving it the ensemble award is kind of like a tip of the hat saying, you know, we see you, we see you the post. Mm-hmm. So let's get into uh, the, the big categories. Now the acting categories, uh, we'll start off with uh, the supporting categories. Uh, the uh, best supporting actress nominations in our group, we had Tiffany Haddish girls trip, which was uh, somewhat of a, a surprise in a good way. Uh, we had Holly Hunter and the big sick, we had Allison Janney and I, Tanya, uh, which is the Tanya Harding movie that has not come out yet, so people probably don't know what that is. Uh, we have Melissa Leo in Novitiate, and then we had Lori Metcalf for Lady Bird. Uh, who took home the prize in this category? Allison Janney in I, Tanya, who plays just a mean Mother Hubbard, um, <laughs> the mother of, of Tanya Harding, who uh, pushed her daughter to the brink of probably insanity by just being uh, pretty much as cruel as one can be. Mm-hmm. Allison Janney um, really, really, really tears through this movie. Um, it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty shocking performance. Um, and Allison Janney's just a, I mean, she's been on TV forever. I think she's still on that, on a Ferris show every week on CBS. Um, it's always good when, like, you know, actresses or actors that, work on that daily TV schedule um, can kind of pop over, make a movie mm-hmm. and, and, and really make an impact. So uh, Allison Janney, best supporting actress. I don't think you're going to find a lot of argument with that one. Once people see this movie, they're going to be like, Whoa. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that Tiffany Haddish got in there for girls trip. I think it's, it's, it's not the kind of movie that people were expecting awards consideration from, mm-hmm. but the way that she came in to that movie and just blew through it, um, it was astounding. It was one of my favorite performances of the year and one of, the, one of the biggest surprises of the year. And I like that she has some awards momentum behind her. I hope that it carries her through. God, it would be so... Of anybody <laughs> in, 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 Oscar, in Oscarland, uh, I'm pulling for Tiffany Haddish to get an Oscar nomination for Girls Trip. I think that, that, that morning when those nominees are announced, if she gets it, I, I can't, I, you, won't, you won't hear me complaining about anything else. It's very rare, but it has happened. I mean, we had, you know, what, Marissa Tomei for My Cousin Vinny. We had uh, uh, Melissa McBri- uh, McCarthy and Melissa McCarthy for uh, uh, Bridesmaids. Um, Haddish, though, we nominated her twice. Uh, she was in Breakthrough and Supporting Actress. She didn't win either from yeah. us. If you had to pick one of those two awards, though, that you would have rather her seen from our group, uh, which one do you think that she's more deserving of? Do you think she's Best Supporting Actress, or would you have rather her seen Breakthrough? Straight up Best Supporting Actress. Uh, okay. She's my choice. Um, lights out, curtains. I'm all on the Haddish train. I would have loved to have seen her win this award. I know that you're going to be happy. But I'm super happy with Janie. Yeah. I know you're happy with this next one, too. Uh, the Best Supporting Actor category, uh, we had William Defoe for The Florida Project. We had Richard, Jen- uh, excuse me, Richard Jenkins for The Shape of Water. We had Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. We had Patrick Stewart for Logan. And we had uh, Michael Stuhlbarg for Call Me By Your Name. 
Uh, the winner was. Oh, the winner was Willem <laughs> Dafoe in the Florida Project. And he, um, he's your pick. I know you were big on him since the movie came out, man, and I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, Dafoe was awesome. In, it, it's, it's so what, what I love about Willem Dafoe and the Florida Project so much is uh, you can't even really point to an individual scene where he has a big monologue or some sort of grandstandy performance. Um, he just has a presence in the movie. And it's kind of an encapsulation of Willem Dafoe's career in the sense that, like, he's this guy that's always been around. I mean, go look at his IMDb. The guy makes four movies a year. Mm-hmm. Um, go look at his box office mojo page. He's made a hundred movies and I think 60 of them have made less than a million dollars. He's just a guy that goes out there and does the work. And that's what he's doing in this movie. He's a guy at this motel uh, outside the magic kingdom. Who's just there doing the work. Um, he's a stand-up guy in, in a desolate world. He's the kind of only glue um, in the lives of these people that are there. And it's just such a, it's, it's a quiet role, but it's very Willem Dafoe in the weirdest of senses. And uh, there's a couple shots of him that are just, that are just glorious shots. And there's one where he's walking out into the parking lot of the motel and kind of that, that purple sky, that purple pink sky is behind him. And he's kind of raising his arms. And I think he's, he had just turned the power back on in the motel and he's getting applause from all the people <laughs> in the motel. And he's just got this look on his face and he kind of like waves them all. It's like, oh, he's like, get out of here, you guys. <laughs> I, 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 I see him walking up on the Oscar stage doing that kind of same thing. Um, I, I just, I loved him in that movie. I'm, I'm getting like, I'm getting all excited now just thinking about it again. <laughs> but it was a really strong category. Richard Jenkins, who kind of like, Broke through in a big way. He was another guy who was around forever. And then with The Visitor a couple years ago, yeah. um, he, re- he really broke out. Love him. And, you know, he's, he's done a ton of stuff in the years since. And, and he's, he gets a real nice tribute um, from Guillermo del Toro in, in The Shape of Water. Shape of Water goes a lot of different places, but he's kind of got his own arc in it. Um, it it's a really lovely performance. Um, there, there was, there was, there, and, and dude, Michael Stuhlbarg in Call Me by Your Name. God, he had probably the year's best scene, period. Yeah. Um, and he's got, um, he's got a real, real strong presence in, in several movies at the end of the year this year. He's in, uh, he's in the Post. He's also in The Shape of Water. But God, he's got this scene in Call Me by Your Name that, like one scene, and, yeah. and he, and he's, he's probably gonna get an Oscar nomination out of it. Um, so good. But it, by, I love I love Defoe. Um, Defoe's kind of winning everything this season, and I think it's great because he's been uh, he's been nominated for two Oscars before. It looks like this might be a, it's time to finally win one. And, and the same could be said about Sam Rockwell. I mean, he he uh, has been like another guy exactly. that yeah, pops yeah. up in every category or every movie. It seems like um, everybody knows his face and may not even know his name, but he just absolutely uh, like you, you use the term you know rips through the movie uh for a couple other people like yeah. he just t- tears through three billboards he's one of the most interesting probably characters of the of the year and uh he's definitely in there yeah you know yeah. sam sam rockwell is in the martin mcdonough posse um he was in psycho he was in seven psychopaths with him and my problem with sam rockwell is he's always too cool yeah he's 
his characters are always so cool that you're like, okay, that's Sam Rockwell. That's not a character. Like I remember seeing him in a movie a couple years ago where he's playing like a suburban dad. He's like the coolest <laughs> suburban dad in the history of suburban. I'm like, who right. is this guy? But in this in in three billboards, he sheds that, um, has the best arc of any character in that movie, and just like uh, he he plays the hell out of it. I I, I love Sam. It was my favorite Sam Rockwell performance, and I could have easily seen him. I think best supporting actor was one of, was maybe the strongest category this year. It's just like blockbuster like knockout performances. And I could have easily seen Sam Rockwell taking this as well. And, and to circle back on Defoe, too, I, mean, I, I couldn't agree more. It, it seems like lived in. It, that's one of those performances that, like, yes. on the page, um, was nothing near, like, what Defoe ended up doing with the role. Do you know what I mean? Like, yep. like he, like you take a look at this guy, and, and it, in one shot of his face, you can kind of, like, see his history, you know, in the, as that character. And it just those are the kind of subtle kind of things. A lot of times the acting awards go to uh, – the big overblown performances, you know, the people that have the monologues or, you know, like I would consider Sam Rockwell's performance to be more like, uh, out there, you know, like he's big and bold. Look at me, look at me. Yeah, exactly. Where Defoe is like the subtle performance. But to me, I've always been attracted to that like way more as far as like that guy's acting, you know what I mean? So love Defoe. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Patrick Stewart in this category though. I was a big proponent of Logan, loved Logan. I love that our group at least gave, uh, old Stewart the nomination. I thought he was great in Logan. You don't have to comment on Back that if you don't to want. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's a character, there's a character, there's a small trait of Dafoe's in the Florida Project. Um, even, even like a wardrobe trait, if that's what it is. The, the, um, the strings are what, on the back of his sunglasses. You know, like mm. the people who have the, the sunglasses and then you can take them off and put it on your head because they have like the, the, got, like the, the stretchy thing behind them. Mm-hmm. Like, that just says everything about who he is. He's a dude who has those strings on his sunglasses. It's like it's just little stuff like that I just love. All right, let's move on now. Let's get into uh, Best Actress this year, uh, another strong category, I thought. Uh, we had Jessica Chastain for Molly's Game, uh, Sally Hawkins for The Shape of Water, Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, Margot Robbie for I, Tanya, and uh, Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird. Uh, the winner in this category was who? Frances McDormand for Three Billboards, which is the best Frances McDormand performance since Fargo. Yes. Um, this could have gone a lot of ways, too. Um, Sally Hawkins does, like, mm-hmm. incredible, lyrical, poetic work in uh, The Shape of Water. Mm-hmm. The whole movie is kind of like, like, a, like a symphony about her. Um I, Tanya, Margot Robbie's got a good performance. Um, uh, who else is up? Saoirse Ronan. Oh, yeah, Saoirse Ronan in Lady Bird is, is, is great. She's funny. Um, Saoirse Ronan, you know, she's usually in these kind of like period dramas. She really breaks out in a comedy here, and she's fun in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's great. But, yeah, Frances McDormand is, is, is a Molotov cocktail in this movie. Um <laughs> And you, 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 you cannot stop her. You can only hope to contain her. Um, and it, it's, again, it, it's a reminder of the power of, of Frances McDormand, which has perhaps been um, laying somewhat dormant since Fargo. Uh, I think that she can, she can turn it on whenever she wants to. Yeah. Um, but she doesn't do a lot of lead performances. Um, 
she she works when she when when she when she wants to work when when the when the work is up to her and and this one is just like you know what guys check me out like mm-hmm. i i can do i can do this thing and and she is there's so much happening in that movie but she's so much of that movie and um, it's it, it's a wonderful performance. She's aided a lot by a, the great a great script, of course, which you know that we, we uh, yeah. awarded as best screenplay. Uh, but I was really my pick in this category out of these nominees was um, I I love Jessica Jessica Chastain, who's great always. But in Molly's Game, I was glad that the group uh, nominated this performance. Uh, talk about like chewing into a scene. Uh, this is an Aaron Sorkin movie, so she had a lot of good dialogue and stuff like that. But the character that she played in Molly's Game, I feel like had to be like a, a this crackling kind of persona and and i i think that it could have been a it, this movie could have been a lot worse had it been a lesser actor in, in the role and i thought just i thought chastain like was just awesome in it uh, so i'm glad a lot of people haven't seen that yet i don't think it's come out yet has it comes out christmas okay comes out in christmas so yeah people haven't seen this performance yet but uh, to me i thought that was right up there with mcdormand but mcdormand is super deserving and was um, effortless her, her performance in three billboards was just effortless yeah, um, she, she doesn't. She doesn't make you see it. She doesn't make you see the strain or the or the work or anything. And you're right about Chastain. She is. Um, she's wicked in that movie. Moving on, we got Best Actor, uh, Timothy Chalamet, Call Me by Your Name, uh, James Franco for The Disaster Artist, Daniel Day Lewis, uh, his final performance apparently in Phantom Thread. He's uh, announced that he's retiring from acting. Uh, Gary Oldman for The Darkest Hour. And then Robert Pattinson for Good Time. We got a lot of uh, praise in the in the social media world for uh, our nomination of Robert Pattinson uh, for Good Time. But who who won for this? Yeah, uh, don't underestimate the the online po- the power of our past online <laughs> fan base. Um, that said, our winner was James Franco. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the Disaster Artist. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> hi James. Um. Dude, so good that um, like a, a super comedic, but also very you know like burrowed into performance, um, won the award. The Disaster Artist is a blast. I'm so happy that this movie is coming out this week. I'm so happy that people get to like live this movie and experience the kind of craziness that is the room. I'm happy that people are getting back up to this through the room. It's really nice that at the end of the mo- end, end of the year in award season, when everything is usually kind of like stiff movies that are like, you know, built for awards and all this, that, that something as fun as the disaster artist is coming out, getting recognition. And this is almost like the ultimate James Franco performance in a <laughs> sense. Um, he had to do all the insane things that he's ever done. Uh, as, I, as I talk to you, I'm looking at my Spring Breakers poster um, with, with Franco uh, sitting on the beach. Like, he had to do all these crazy things to get to Tommy Wiseau, the most inept filmmaker of all time, um, <laughs> in such an enigmatic, weird presence. Uh, for Jean- I remember when this movie got announced, and you're like, what? That sounds awful. Yeah, right. There's no way that can be anything. But, like, James Franco found a way to make this story not a joke about the making of this really bad movie, but kind of a movie about friendship and dreams mm-hmm. and kind of, like, the, the, the intoxicating power of cinema, how it's, like, 
if, if, if you get to be an actor and you're on the big stage on the big screen, all your problems are solved. That's kind of the way that a lot of people think in, uh, in America. I think it too. I'm like, listen, man, mm-hmm. if I was just in the movies, everything would be fine. And that's, that's what Tommy Wiseau was thinking. And that's what drove him to make this movie, despite the fact that he had no skills whatsoever to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and James, James Franco found that soul in there while also doing this killer impression of him. Um, it's, it's a great performance. It's a fun performance. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited that he got our award. Now there's some other ones in there that are also great. Like Gary Oldman goes crazy in darkest power. <laughs> you know, just like classic, um, big belly, old school fat suit, uh, larger than the screen performance there. Uh, I love Gary Oldman so much. I've always loved Gary Oldman. Like, I don't don't even get me into my Gary Oldman rap. Uh, Chalamet does does great work in Call Me by Your Name, um, and everybody else uh, that's nominated in the category did fine fine work. Uh, I, I love that Franco won. The Disaster Artist is, of course, like you said, it's awesome. Uh, the Room, you know, the movie that it's based on is amazing. And yeah, if you can, if people who have seen The Room, who or have seen any kind of interview or clip from Tommy Wiseau. Uh, to the, the fact that he could be made relatable to a general audience in any way, shape, or form is, is nothing short of a miracle. So uh, kudos that, again, that's really true. James James Franco. Uh, Gary Oldman, of course, was good. You know, he plays Winston Churchill. For me, I might be in the minority on this, but I actually thought it was the second best Winston Churchill performance this season, before uh, after Brian Cox, who I famously said on TV, "I can't get enough Cox." Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Very true, but I think that um, I liked Oldman's performance more um, as Churchill uh, to each his own. Um, <laughs> I, I know you. I know you love Cox. So, <laughs> well, hey, let's move on from there. Uh, okay, we're going into hey best now. best director. Uh, best director. We had a, a tie, so we ended up with six nominees. They were uh, Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread, Sean Baker, The Florida Project, Greta Gerwig, Lady Bird, Christopher Nolan, Dunkirk. Jordan Peele, Get Out, and Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. And who was our best director? Our best director, God bless us, is Sean Baker for The Florida Project. Yeah. Now, earlier I mentioned, I mentioned Spring Breakers. Um, it, there, there's a different way to do The Florida Project, and that would be the Harmony Korine version of the movie mm-hmm. where you point and laugh and make fun of these people that are kind of at the end of the rope mm-hmm. and they're all dead end tragic figures. Um, or there's a, there's a super saccharine version of it where it's like, Oh, woe is me. Look at these people. Mm-hmm. Um, what Sean Baker did in the Florida project to kind of uh, look at these people's lives. It's just like, he shows them with so much, so much empathy, but without, um, without kind of like this, uh, you know, the sad violin playing in the background. Right. Um, he, he let, he shows the kind of like total freedom <laughs> that the, that these people have, but also, you know, the, the dead ends where that freedom is, is leading them towards. Um, it's, it's, it's a, the movie is all him is, is the best yep. way to say it. And he's this kind of, um, you know, his last movie, Tangerine, was shot on an iPhone. It's just a, a totally insane movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, well, well, where's that guy going next? And I don't know if anybody thought that he was going to the Florida Project next. Right. Um, and it just it shows him to be uh, 
just a, a wonderful, um, humane filmmaker. Um, God, the Florida Project was so glorious. Yeah, you, you know, and uh, I, I'm, I'm so happy that he won our award. You hear, you know, like Tangerine. I know a lot of people did not see that movie, but the the sound of it was was a gimmick. You know, people heard like, oh, this guy shot this entire film on on an iPhone. Yeah, it was. Um, it's the iPhone movie. Yeah, it's the iPhone movie, and then, but you watch Tangerine, and it's it's a great movie. Like he he what yeah. he's able to he shows that he's a minimalist. Like he's able to do yeah. a lot with a little, and I just loved that the Florida Project not only kind of told the story that he told, but the, the fact that it takes place like in the shadows of Walt Disney World, which is like you know the iconic you know symbol of <laughs> everything is great, everything is always awesome. Uh, you know, and, and, and the fact that this kind of exists in the shadow, I thought that, again, that's not an easy concept to kind of pull off successfully if you were to read this idea on a page and then try to make a movie out of it. Uh, so I just, I was totally floored by the Florida project. And, uh, I think Sean Baker to me was the only pick in this category. Um, yeah. And, and, and good use of, of totally floored. Uh, I was same, same with this movie. That leads us to the big, uh, the big one, uh, best picture this year. So uh, five choices here. Our nominees for best picture were the Disaster Artist, which we talked about, the Florida Project, Get Out, The Shape of Water, and three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Uh, who, Mr. Adam Graham, did the Detroit film critics go with for best picture? Uh, I'm so proud because when I saw this movie in September at the Toronto International Film Festival, it just, for me, right then and there, there was no other pick for uh, the year's best movie, and that was The Florida Project. And we, we've kind of talked about the, uh, the the miracle of that movie, and, um, you know, we could keep going. Right. I would say that all the nominees were really worthy. Uh, the Shape of Water is a, is a really... <laughs> So really, it's a it's a pretty tremendous movie. Um, Get Out is uh, Get Out was in there, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Get Out like very relevant, um, very edgy in terms of um, in terms of content for kind of year end consideration type movie. Um, three billboards, um, all, all all extremely worthy. But the Florida Project for me was 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 the beginning and end of, of movies this year. I think that it's, you know, so far ahead of the second, my second favorite movie of the year, um, which is probably Mother, uh, that, that, that the two aren't even in the same conversation. Um, Florida Project was the best movie of the year, and I'm, and I'm really glad that we stepped up and planted a flag in it. Now, now that we've gone through all the noms and the winners, uh, off the top of your head, what are what are some of what do you think are some of the biggest snubs, and, and not just on a personal level, but what are some of the performances or films uh, that you think that our group didn't give a lot of uh, love to that you think will make a splash on the national level when we get to the Golden Globes and the Oscars and that sort of thing? Uh, I don't know. I think that we are we are I think we did justice to what needed to be done justice to. There were some, there were some personal choices. Um, I mean, I, dude, I was super, super blown away by mother. Mm. Um, and I know that it's a super abrasive movie <laughs> and it turned a lot of people off. I loved it too, though. I think, so that Jennifer, I think that Jennifer Lawrence was outstanding. And I think that Darren Aronofsky's work in it was like mind blowing. I can see where it won't get kind of 
talk. It kind of won't mm-hmm. get included in those circles. But I, I do think years from now, it's going to be a movie that people look back upon and say, whoa, what was going on there? Um, and just being like, you know, there's, there's always movies, you know, you, you talk about the end of the movies, the, the year-end movies. Like, I remember, like, you know, Nicole Kidman in The Hours. Like, that was, that was the performance that year. Dude, has anybody watched The Hours since <laughs> 2002 or whatever year that was? Right. Um, and every, every year there's kind of those things like, oh, man, Philip Seymour Hoffman in, what was this Capote movie? Was it Capote? Yeah. Um, and dude, shout out to Philip Seymour Hoffman. I'm glad that he got an Oscar. Um, but dude, like, is anybody going back to Capote? Right. So there's, there's a kind of, there's a short sightedness of the immediacy of the award season. And then there's, um, you know, the long view when you look back at a year and you look back at the movies that really stood out that year. God, you know, listen, this is, this is kind of off. This is kind of on a, on a, on a, on a tangent or, or, uh, is this kind of, you know, over here in terms of this conversation, but I watched Clueless a couple nights ago. Um, and Alicia Silverstone in that movie is is absolutely like uh, she is radiant, <laughs> and the work that she does in that movie is tremendous. Um, I believe that the it came out in '95. I think that Susan Sarandon won the Oscar that year for Dead Man Walking. Ah. And Dead Man Walking was incredible, um, super important movie, blah, blah, blah. But, like, I don't know. I don't know if people are going back <laughs> and watching Dead Man Walking the same, that they're, the same way they're still going back and watching Clueless. Oh, sure. And Clueless, Alicia Silverstone's performance in that movie is iconic. Watch it again. She is so gosh darn good. And I, I just don't think that, like, anybody at the time would even say, like, you know what, man, maybe she's award worthy. Uh, that's why I kind of like about Tiffany Haddish in this movie. But like, look back at like, you know, um, John C. Riley and Will Ferrell in Step Brothers. Mm-hmm. Dude, Step Brothers is one of the most important movies of the last 20 years. <laughs> but nobody at the time ever considered it for awards. So the, you know, the, the, the small, like, like Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour is great. I think it's like a career thing. Um, Gary Oldman has played Beethoven, Sid Vicious, Dracula, and Lee Harvey Oswald. The guy is one of the best actors alive. He's never won the Oscar. Um, he needs to win an Oscar, so maybe it's Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. But in five years from now, are we still going to be talking about Darkest Hour, even though Joe Wright does direct the hell out of it and makes it kind of m- more than the stuffy thing that you think it is? Um, so, so with all that being said... Um, uh, we should have nominated, we should have given Alicia Silverstone an award in 1995. <laughs> but the DFCS wasn't around back then, so and I was a senior in high school at the time. Yeah, there you go. Um, but so uh, that's my thoughts on that topic, Tom. Well, I appreciate you giving us a deep dive and, and giving us a late push <laughs> for uh, Silverstone to get some love for uh, a 22-year-old yeah. movie. You know, and, and we this year we could have we could have honored her for her – Super weird work in uh, The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Oh, yeah. Uh, but we did not. Uh, <laughs> but perhaps we'll have another chance. She was also played the mom in uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid 4. Um, but speaking of um, Killing of a Sacred Deer, I, I don't know if anyone's going to be talking about that movie um, six weeks from now, even though, even, let alone six years from now. But it is a super weird movie, and it's worth watching. And Barry Keoghan was on my short list of people that we could have considered for. Breakthrough. 
yeah. for breakthrough. He did not get a nomination. Uh, Yorgos Alanthimos was also on my on my list for best director. I, I think he's, he's the Sacred Deer is one of those weird ones. It could be. It could like you know in. 2034, when the main art theater is putting out their list of midnight movies, I guarantee you, Killing of a Sacred Deer will be will be one of those ones that we'll be watching, being like, "Whoa, that movie was crazy." Well, I'm hoping to uh, have you and uh, our, our boy Lee Thomas on the podcast here in a couple weeks again, um, where we possibly go over our year end picks. So I don't want to uh, give away too many more of your uh, you know favorites. I know that uh, uh, My Little Pony might be in there, so I don't want to spoil anything for anybody. Uh, right, right, right. Keep, but, keep it under wraps. Yeah, exactly. But um, man, uh, I appreciate you uh, coming on the podcast and 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 going through all these with us and announcing the awards. Uh, tell us a little bit. Uh, where can people find your stuff? And what do you have anything coming up that you want to tell people about? Uh, DetroitNews.com is the home for all my reviews. Uh, at Grammarama on Twitter is where you can see me talk about pretty much everything except the movies I review. Um. And uh, I think next week, next Friday on December 15th, I'll have my uh, my 10 best movies of the year list in the Detroit News. You can check it out. There you go. That's coming out on the 15th? I believe it's coming out on the 15th, my friend. Nice work, dude. Uh, and you put it to 10? You caught it down to 10? Yeah, you know... I'll probably have my 10 and then I'll probably have like a list of, uh, you know, 10 more with feeling kind of deal. Got it. Um, but you know, in, in this, in this kind of, uh, in this work that we do, you can go on and on. I find that, and Mm -hmm. this is after me rambling for an hour on a podcast. Um, (laughs) I find that brevity is also, uh, is often the best, uh, the best, the best way to go. Well, uh, you can also check out uh, Adam and myself on uh, Critically Speaking, the show hosted by Lee Thomas on Fox 2. Uh, it airs in the Detroit area, we know, on Fridays at 6.30 and on Saturday mornings at 9.30. Uh, and I hear it, it airs in the greater Phoenix area on Sundays at 4. Is that true? Holy moly. We're branching it, I, I've heard rumors. I've heard rumors. Yeah. <laughs> it's also by Charlotte, the rep- And Charlotte gets it Monday mornings at 7. <laughs> Most people, too, can find it on Facebook, by the way. We post uh, that the full episodes are posted usually by Sunday uh, on the Facebook page. So if you look up Critically Speaking, and that's Critically, L-E-E, like Lee Thomas's name, Critically Speaking on Facebook, uh, post a full episode. And there also the after show. We do a little uh, after show thing where usually you rip on my on-air comments. Uh, but that's pretty fun. We do that every week. That's on the Facebook page as well. Uh, but you can check us out. This week we're going to be talking. I'm excited to talk about the Disaster Artist on the Air as well as Darkest Hour. Uh, but, man, um, anything else you want to tell the people? You got their ear. Uh, El Paso, Texas, uh, Tuesdays at 4, critically <laughs> speaking, on the local uh, – it's actually on the ABC affiliate in El Paso. They just signed it up after uh, hearing that this podcast was happening. So that's that's fantastic. Yes. yes. Also, <laughs> Bakersfield, California, uh, Wednesday mornings at 4 a.m., <laughs> We're, dude, there's there's more uh, podcasts uh, or there's more airings of Critically Speaking than there are Tommy Wiseau billboards in uh, in the LA greater LA area. So um, go. we're gonna get some. We're taking over all wise those billboards. Critically speaking, <laughs> the phone number goes directly to Graham's cell phone. So there you go. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you for uh, joining me here Thanks, today. Tom, appreciate it. Buddy. Yeah, man. Good times, and we'll uh, we'll talk to everybody later. Thanks. So thanks, everybody. Uh, Double dose of uh, the Film Survivor podcast for you this week. A little bit of Survivor, a little bit of movies, 
and a whole lot coming down the pipe. So next week, again, the uh, penultimate episode of Survivor Healers. Well, I screwed that up again. Haven't done that in a while. Survivor Heroes versus Healers versus Hustlers. Season 35 is rapidly coming to a close. We have an episode next week. Join me on the podcast next Thursday uh, as we talk about that and get set up for the finale. Uh, and then the finale, December 20th, uh, two-hour episode followed by the one-hour live reunion show where we will also get a preview of season 36 of Survivor, which will be coming at you uh, in February. They released the uh, the starting date for season 36 was actually announced, and it's February 28th, I believe. So, uh, yeah, it, we have a couple months off like normal, and we'll get right back into things. Stick with this podcast, though, through the holidays. Uh, again, we're going to have lots of movie coverage, award season coming through. We have Golden Globe nominations coming up. We have uh, Oscar you know, nominations will come out in January. And, uh, you know, we'll just be going through all that kind of stuff, as well as covering some of the, uh, the holiday movies and the Christmas, uh, you know, lineup that's coming out. So, again, thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, join us next week. Thanks. Bye-bye.